All right, so yesterday I was driving home from work and talking to a friend, and he was asking what we were teaching through, and I told him that we were teaching through the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation, and his response was, whoa, 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 and he, he was actually kind of uh, scared by just us saying we were going to do it, and that um, reminded me, because I'm, you know, I'm deep into this, um, since December I've been thinking about this, so yeah. um, I've, uh, I was just reminded that this is a tough series of subjects and it scares a lot of people and it makes a lot of people run away and so I was just encouraged for our church to have been really receptive of the series and is diving in and is um, doing it even though it's hard so actually the first couple of churches were kind of easy to do and the first difficult one was Pergamum and I thought hey why not give it to the missional resident Let yeah try for sure it. thanks a lot appreciate that buddy yeah, it was um, it, it was definitely the first time I'd looked at scripture and thought I don't really want to teach on this. I'm not. It's and it wasn't even that I wasn't interested in it. It's just that it was. I knew it was going to be a difficult message. And um, and you know, I think that a lot of us, you know, have issues and fears of confrontation. But um, you know, I was glad that it was in the scripture and that we were going to be able to dive into it. Yeah, I remember uh, telling you, hey, this is this might be the, the hardest sermon you've ever preached, so buckle up. Yeah. I thought it was the best sermon you had preached so far, so... Thanks. A hard, hard task, you did a great job. The only downside I thought of was we needed a part two because, you know, most of us don't like handling conflict or tough situations when we see someone in sin. Um, and even if we do like it, most just don't know how to do it or refuse to do it well. And so I felt like there needs to be kind of like a follow-up to, all right, if you find yourself in a situation, whether you're either offended by somebody or you're seeing a brother or sister doing something that is obviously destructive to their lives or the lives of others, how do you not do what the church in Pergamum did, which was be silent while there were people in their church leading others astray. How do you do the hard work of going and and trying to be a voice um, in the midst of darkness? So that's kind of what this little bonus podcast is meant to be, is just to kind of talk through um, why it's important and some really practical things for how. Um, kind of on my notes that I've wrote down as first, I think it would help all of us if we understood why this is so important. And then we'll look at what you would need to know just as a Christ follower. And then we'll end with how do we practically do this. So the first thing is why why is this so important? Um, Winky Prattney said that disunity is the heartache of heaven. And I think it's so true. Um, whenever my kids fight, and I got two small boys, so they fight occasionally, which means every day. Every once in a while. <laughs> every day. Um, it breaks my heart as a parent, and it breaks Shari's heart as a parent. And so just our Father, the, the Lord's Prayer begins, our Father. And if there's something that's dividing um, us in the church, or if there's something that's dividing brothers and sisters, it does break God's heart. And therefore, it's serious, and it's worth doing the hard work at 
trying to find reconciliation. And, and I think that's what sin does in anyone's life. Sin separates. It separates us from God. It separates us from one another. If a brother or sister is willingly walking in sin, um, or maybe they're just stuck in sinful patterns and they don't even know it, it separates. And so it's a, it's a, it's a big, big, big deal. Um, the second thing is there's a couple of scriptures that, in addition to the text at the end of Revelation 2, I think would be helpful to know. The first one is in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The beginning is the Beatitudes, and Jesus says in verse 9, chapter 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be known as the children of God. And um, I've taught on this many times, but Jesus doesn't say, Blessed are, are the peacekeepers, or blessed are the peacebreakers. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers. I think apart from God's Spirit, our nature and our tendency is to be one of those. Um, uh, some, you know, like Shari's tendency is to be a peacekeeper. Uh, my tendency is to be a peace breaker. Yeah. <laughs> it's just how we're wired. And so, I don't know, what, what do you have? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's I'm a peacemaker, and I want to maintain it as long as I possibly can. And I'll use, I'll use all of myself to do that. And then Sydney is also a peacemaker, but she's so much uh, a moralistic individual that she will war against people that are, that are anti-moral or okay. doing something that yeah. she feels is wrong. Yeah, to to those who are stuck on the, I like to be the peacekeeper. Um, sometimes the that's really a root of insecurity. Is we don't want to um, make other people uncomfortable, or we walk on eggshells. It really comes from insecurity, and because of that insecurity, we can't be peace uh, makers. We're just we're just stuck being peacekeepers and doormats. Mm-hmm. On the other side of it. Uh, the people who are peace breakers, it's really, the obstacle is not insecurity, it's individualism because there's pride involved that, that is just always causing us to go to war or to to break things or bust things up or to, to go after conflict. So it really is a work of the Holy Spirit for us to become peace makers where, where we have this skill and this heart to make peace when there isn't peace. Uh, so we got to know that. Um, the, the end of the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 7. Now, this is great. Matthew 7 begins with not judging, and then Jesus gives this hilarious sketch comedy, uh, kind of three stooges kind of illustration of a guy who's trying to take a speck of sawdust out of his brother's eye, but he has this big log in his own eye, and he can't see that he has a log in his own eye. And we read that really, really um, kind of solemnly, but it's if you were to see that in a sketch comedy on SNL or with the Three Stooges, it'd be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Just the the funny image of a guy with a big six by six post in his eye with tweezers trying to take out someone's contact lens it would be hilarious because you'd see just mess everywhere. And Jesus is saying it in that he's saying, "Hey, just take care of yourself before you try to take care of others." Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times when we see something in somebody else's life that doesn't match up with God's way, I think what Matthew 7 teaches us is we first need to make sure there's not a beam right. or a log in our eye lest we just make a bunch of mess, Yeah. right? Um, we can all probably think of examples when someone came to us and said, hey, um, I want to talk about this issue, and you're like, uh, you're way worse than that, you know? Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, it's Matthew 7, so I think it's good to know that. And then um, the next one is, um, actually, before we move on, there's, um, uh, I think that's just a good, what Matthew 7 teaches us is there's a good opportunity for prayer there. It is before we jump into our brother or sister's business, I think we first need to spend some time seriously with the Lord, um, you know, asking us, uh, asking ourselves, hey, do I really see something in their life or do I just see myself? Sometimes the Lord will show me things about my life and the lives of other people and He's not showing me, um, you know, like your sin, for example, for me to go deal with you, but for me to see, oh, that's me and I need to deal with that right. myself first. Well, there's also this thing of, I, I, that thing in that person I dislike, is it, is it that I dislike it because it's inconvenient to me? Or do I dislike it because I see that it's sin and they're stumbling in it and they need help? Mm, and yeah, so, yeah. and that's that's where we see is that either coming from a place of humility in the, in the character of Christ or is it coming from a place of selfishness? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my good friends from a long time ago, he used to say, never rebuke somebody you haven't wept for. And man, that was really convicting to me because I, I don't have any trouble having hard conversations with people i don't um doesn't bother me i don't get emotionally stirred up um my feelings don't get out of control whenever there needs to be a, a difficult conversation um and so because of that it's very easy to rush in there without the heart of god and and so that was a really a good kind of kind of stop sign for me is if i haven't really been on my face for this person if i haven't really prayed and asked for god to give me his heart for them then i don't won't have the conversation yeah. Um, and it really changes the outcome of the conversation and the way the conversation starts mm-hmm. if we haven't, you know, fasted and prayed and really been brokenhearted and wept over the sin. So yeah. that's a good one. And then the uh, Galatians 6 1 is a favorite of mine on this issue as well. And in, in, um, I think you, you brought it up on Sunday, which yeah. was um, if there's anybody caught in a transgression, um, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Man, so many times in the church I've seen people rush in who are, quote, spiritually mature, and they come in with guns blazing, and they come in, and they're very punitive in their attitude, and they're very prideful, and they don't ask questions, and they assume things, and it just makes it worse. And and basically what they've shown is they're not spiritual. They're earthly. Um, and there's not a spirit of gentleness. And so if there, you know, that would be the kind of the third thing I say is, is man, there has to be a spirit of gentleness and kindness and compassion and empathy when you're having difficult conversations with somebody. Yeah. And that the idea that if that isn't there to recognize it as a red flag or a yellow flag and saying, Hey, I'm not there yet. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that takes maturity to get to that point, but Hey, I haven't seen those things yet. Um, it might not, I, I might not be in a healthy place to have this conversation with that person yet. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, if you do not have a spirit of gentleness about you, you should not be the one to have that conversation. Um, in fact... Do you or, think that means you hand it off or do you think... I think it means you just pray. Um, I had a spiritual mother tell me, um, she, she's like, Drew, if the Lord... Cause I, Sometimes I'll, I'll have these moments of discernment. And, and she taught me, when I was a lot younger, her name's Marianne, 
um, she would say, did God share that with you so you could go talk to that person or did God share that with you so you would know how to pray for them? It was amazing how my default was to always run mm-hmm. and share with that person and I hadn't even prayed about it. And I'd say probably nine times out of 10, the Lord will show me things, not so I can talk to them about it, but so I can pray for them. Right. And so, so yeah, I'd say if you don't have a spirit of gentleness, don't talk to other people about it. Don't talk to that person about it. You need to pray. Pray for them. And, and when, when the Lord does give you the freedom of gentleness and empathy and all those things, then and he opens the door, then go talk to them. But yeah, if you're just upset and angry and whatever, no, 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 you're just going to make it worse. Yeah, I mean, I think also, you know, for those of y'all listening and for, for Drew and I as well, if you don't know how to pray for that person or you don't feel like your heart or your spirit is soft enough or gentle enough towards that person to pray for them, then reach out and find some brothers and sisters yeah. that can guide you in that prayer or maybe even pray on your behalf. Um, and then, yeah, waiting until the Lord softens your heart in that area and then moving forward with it. Yeah, that's great. And uh, yeah, and, and, and if, that, if that is a thing, I'd encourage you to find one person that you can share with. Don't, don't go to 20 people. Don't yeah. do it online. Don't do it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, find someone who's older, who's more mature, who's not in the same generation as you, who has a different color hair than you, who is just wise, doesn't run their mouth. They have a history of being safe and, and confidential and just do one, just just pick one person that you can find some coaching in. And that may be a pastor, that may be a group leader, or maybe a parent, or someone out of town, or someone outside of the church, whatever. But yeah, um, I've seen it go sideways a lot of times when people just start talking to their friends about this, and everybody in the world knows there's an issue except the person. It's it's not good. Yeah. the the last The last scripture we'll share, and that leads us into some practical stuff, is. The, I think, the keystone, the cornerstone, the, the number one scripture that we should all know and have memorized, which is Jesus' explicit teaching on the subject, which is found in Matthew chapter 18. Um, before we uh, uh, dive into it, I'll t- tell a quick story of when I first uh, entered uh, church planning, I had a, a, the pastor that was my senior pastor at the time. He told me um, that if you want to know somebody's spiritual health and maturity, do not look at how old they are, do not look at how much they give, do not look at how much they serve, and do not take into account how consistently they attend worship or how much Bible they can spout off. He said the sure way to tell how healthy and mature someone is spiritually is if they can resolve conflict biblically. And I thought, that's a bunch of garbage. Are you kidding me? Surely you should take into account how much of the scriptures they know, if they worship regularly, mm-hmm. if they serve, if they give, if they tithe, if they give beyond a tithe, uh, if they're older, if they have gray hair. And it was like, no, those things are kind of good things, but really... If you want to know someone's spiritual health and maturity, the fastest way is to, is to see them in conflict and see how they handle it. And uh, what I've learned through experience is that that is so true. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and as I have kids, I, I, it's reinforced because you, know, you look at the four generic growth stages in, in a human. You have infant, you have toddler or young, young child, teenage years, and you have kind of the adult. When you look at an infant, when an infant is crossed or when an infant um, has something they're not happy about, what does an infant do? Uh, they scream, they cry, they're really sensitive. I mean, overly sensitive, right? Um, sometimes you have a toddler. Toddlers are very self-centered, self-reliant. Um, sometimes they're angels, and then in an instant, they're the opposite of angels. I mean, I've got two toddlers, and it is like, <laughs> you know, one you day they it. wake up, they're perfect, and another time they wake up, and they're not perfect. Yeah. Just, that's just the world of toddler town. And then you have um, where probably most people are, is they're in the teenage, young adolescent stage which is, you know, they're pretty good and normal until there's a conflict. And um, they might talk to you about it. They might listen to you. They might roll their eyes. But at the end of the conversation, they will storm off, slam the door, and they'll go talk to all their friends about it. And what is incredible, I've been, I've been in adult ministry for probably 17, yeah, about 17 years now. I have seen more of this than anything. I've seen people who are in their 70s act like they're a 14 or 15-year-old teenage girl. Just cannot um, resolve conflict in a biblical and calm and reasonable way. They will talk to everybody but the person. Right. And um, it's really incredible. So... Uh, I would encourage you, if you're listening, to maybe do like a self a self test of um, when was the last time there was some conflict and how did you respond? Did you respond like an infant? Did you respond like a toddler? Did you respond like a teenager, or did you respond like a mature adult? I social media is neutral and we see lots of good in it and we also see lots of bad. Some of the bad we see every day is we see people who have problems with other people who do not talk to those people, but they share it with all their friends on right. their Facebook. Right. And you know what the word for that is? Coward. Mm-hmm. That's the word. If you have a problem with somebody, to go to that person and deal with it is what Christ would do. Right. If you have a problem with somebody and you don't go to that person, but you go to everybody else because you can hide behind a keyboard, the definition of that is not Christ-like, but cowardly. Well, that's a strong word, yeah. but well, I mean, it goes back to in the insecurity or individualism. Like, what is your fear is drive is driving you to one or the other in this circumstance? And I think it's important for us to to think about when we are confronted with conflict, are we going to be coming out of a place of insecurity or individualism? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's either going to be this fl- flight, like you're like we talk about sometimes, or the fight. Um, right. One or the other. Will you read uh, Matthew 18, 15 through 20? Yeah. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. 
And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. That's good. So Matthew 18, this is Jesus's three-step plan for if you have conflict, if somebody has offended you, if you think someone has offended you, if you see somebody doing something that you th- that you feel is you know morally wrong or or there's sin there or whatever, and you don't know what to do, and this is what Jesus says to do, and it's so important to learn this before the moment happens, so that mm-hmm. you know it's really sometimes hard to learn in the moment. But I thought the. Uh... But I thought where two or three are gathered was about prayer. <laughs> it's not. Oh, man. And, and that, that's the thing is, is I've been to so many prayer meetings where there's four people or a Bible study where there's four people. And everyone's like, well, you know, Jesus said wherever two or three are gathered, there he is. And it's like, yeah, he was talking about when people are burying the hatchet. He's talking about when, when people are talking through sin and offenses, not when, when a church meeting is poorly attended. Well, and how, how it, it just makes me feel really reassured that in the moment of conflict, even a conflict that gets so bad that we have to take it before the church or pastors, that this scripture ends with, there am I among yeah. them. That's great. Yeah. I mean, every time that I have resolved conflict biblically, I felt God's presence there. And yeah. um, there's a great book called Faithful Presence by a guy named David Fitch. And he talks about these seven social sacraments you know, one of them is being with kids. One of them is feeding the poor. One of one of them is communion. Um, another one is this: is is reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Is when we when two people come together and they're mutually submitting and trying to sort through this stuff and find forgiveness and reconciliation. There, God's presence is there, and, and He promises that. So here's the, the four steps. Um, and actually, I'd say there. There's one that before which you already covered, which is pray. Right. And before you do anything, you pray. Get God's heart on this matter. Mm-hmm. Check yourself. Make sure um, you know that you don't have stuff that you need to work through, which we always do. Um, and then after that, the first step, Jesus says, "Go, go to the person. Go privately." And I would just stress here: does not he does not say go to social media and air dirty laundry. He does not say um, go to your spouse. He does not say go to your kids or or go to your pastor, it's go to that person. Um, and so many times this gets so sidelined because we go to the wrong person. Because it's easier. It's easier to go to the wrong person. So say, first of all, go privately. Go to the right person. Do it in a spirit of prayer. And, um, and, and, and you may have people who are close and uh, confident in your life that you could say, hey, I have a hard conversation. You can leave the details. You can leave the person out and say, hey, I need to have a Matthew 18 moment. Will you pray for me? And we be praying at this time. And they don't have, they don't even have to know the details, which is a great thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the what I'd expand on how how to go privately is do not go to throw up on the person. Mm-hmm. I mean, many times we'll, people will sit down and the person says, "You did this. You did this. You did this. You did this." But I forgive you. If you're looking for the conversation to go badly. Do those That's, things. Yeah, yeah. Do not go to throw up on them. Um, I think we should go in a way that fosters uh, listening. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things. So I'd say one, don't 
um, you know, schedule a time where you have enough time to not be rushed. Like, don't do it on your 30 minute lunch break. Right. Uh, don't do it in a noisy restaurant. Don't do it at Bakery Lorraine. Yeah. You're not going to be able to hear one another. Um, you know, if, if, if you got an issue, you know, and it's, and you know, you're a mom and there's another mom with young kids, probably seven o'clock at night is not the best time to handle these things because you're at the end of your resources. There's bedtime, there's baths, there's all, you know, there's just, you know, consider that stuff. Um, you know, put your phone away. Uh, you know, there's nothing worse than having a serious conversation and people are just constantly texting and looking at things just put your phone away you get away from technology um another thing is uh um put your hands on the table mm-hmm. like yeah um don't don't put your hands under the table because there's this 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 subconscious thing of do they have a weapon if i yeah. can't see your hands subconsciously i don't think you're safe because i'm not sure if you have a weapon or not so anytime there's a hard conversation i mean when i preach i try to keep my hands in front of people as much as possible um just to say hey i'm safe so uh, another one is um, sit on the same side of the table with them. You know, uh, don't sit across from them because your body language is communicating that you're against them. Sit beside them. Uh, Brene Brown has a great quote. She says, um, don't confront someone unless you're ready to sit on the same side of the table as them. Like if you can't sit next to somebody, then your, your heart's not in the right place to have that conversation with them. So those are all good little yeah. Little, little thing make eye contact um you have any other just quick tips to well, throw in there yeah i mean one thing that i want to talk about just real briefly is just that conflict is not something that only occurs between people that love each other as family loves one another as best friends do with one another it is done sometimes with people that may not know each other that well at all um, and, you know, this might even be an individual that you don't even necessarily like. So, for example, we're talking about maybe a coworker that you would never go to lunch with um, or a family member that you really only see on the holidays, but they upset you by mentioning this or that or the other thing. Um, we're not being asked to choose the conflicts we step into. We're asking to, we're being asked by the Lord to be faithful um, in the way that he longs and desires for us to interact with people and have conflict with people. And so, um, I, I, and I think it's hard. It's really difficult sometimes to have these meaningful depth, depth ridden conversations with people that we might necessarily not like, but we're not called to like people. The scriptures tell us that we're called to love people. Um, and so even if it's someone that you might not be best friends with, if there's conflict there, still lean in, still pray about it, and still you know seek counsel on on how to move forward in resolving that conflict. Yeah, and I think the key is just always having the goal to gain a brother or sister. Yeah, um, is you're not there to win an argument, you're not there to prove a point, you're not there to change the person. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We cannot change people. You're there to recognize that sin has separated and that Jesus wants you to gain reconciliation with one another. Yeah. And and so everything should be towards that end, going not to win the argument, because you could win the argument and lose the person yeah. all the time. I mean, generally, if you win the argument, you've lost the person. I had a friendship when I lived in Austin where this individual and I 
basically thought that each other were the most annoying person on earth. And so we would go to the pub or the restaurant or hang out or have a Bible study together. And when each one of us would talk, we could see the other one being frustrated. And it, it really came down to us having to go to a restaurant, sit down across from each other at a table. We didn't get to sit next to each other. Unfortunately, it was booths. That would have been awkward. But <laughs> the point was that the moment that we made a conscious decision to listen to each other's story, to listen to each other's heart, to listen to each other, where each other were coming from in our frustrations towards one another. The last year that Sydney and I were in Austin, this guy and I were tight brothers, tight friends. Um, and it was really because the Holy Spirit kind of forced us into a situation where we, we were either going to talk with one another and, and find resolution, um, or it, it was just really going to continue being awkward between us in social situations. So just a little encouragement for y'all oh, that are good. looking to do something like that. I, I'm convinced, and I'm making these numbers up. You know what Mark Twain said about statistics? Yeah. But I'm making these stats up. But I, I think, and the point is true, is if, if we would just do step one, 90% of conflict in our life would mm-hmm. disappear. Just, yeah, there's going to be these, extent, these, these circumstances that are extraordinary, but most of the conflict that we find ourselves in or most of the sin that we are dealing with can be resolved if we just prayed and went to that person privately, directly, quickly, and had a gentle, grace-filled, um, humble conversation. Um, yeah, it would I mean, just go way better. Well, and the quickly, the quickly comment is huge. So, oh yeah, person A wrongs person B. Person B lets three months go by. They think about it every time they get in their car, every time they take a shower, every time they get in bed, every time they make breakfast in the morning. Then they decide, okay, now I'm going to have the guts to talk to him about it three months later. That person probably won't remember that instance. So the quickly yeah. part is big, especially if it is something that has really chafed you or wronged you. Oh, yeah. And the person who they won't remember that, and there's a good chance the person who's been thinking about it every day for three months that they're misremembering it because their imagination has filled in gaps and has Absolutely. added meaning to things. And all of a sudden, like you legitimately believe that person said things they never said because you've just been chewing it over and over and over and over. And you've lost sense of what's true and what's reality. Yeah. Um, so if you do, do step one, it doesn't work out, which sometimes happens. Um, Jesus says, go with two or three. Try again. And, and you do not go with two or three of your buddies to gang up on them. You go with two or three trusted people who are fair-minded, unbiased, for the purpose of finding truth, accountability, and who, people who are really good in mediation. Because um, there's a chance that maybe you're blown out of proportion. Or maybe this other person is blown out of proportion. Or maybe you don't think it's a big deal, but it is a massive deal. And... And you, you know, and everyone needs help. So, um, I think step two, going with two or three people, is good for wisdom and accountability, and then making sure, okay, what's true here? What's what are the stakes? Um, and just yeah, don't go with your don't go with your best friends who are going to side with you. 
that's not going to work out. Yeah, or if it's a situation where multiple individuals have an issue with it with um, another individual, don't take that posse, don't take that group of people with pitchforks and torches mm -hmm. to have this conversation with this person. It needs to be, and again, this is a huge example of where you going individually with that person to have that tough conversation would probably be able to, you know, rid, rid the issue, you know, get down to the root. Mm -hmm. But yeah, don't, don't take a group of people that all have an agenda, you know, have, have people with a gentle heart that are, are going to be prayerful about the situation and that maybe are, are not, you know, they're unbiased. They don't have, they don't have a dog uh, in the hunt on either side. Yeah. So you do step one, you do step two, doesn't work out. What do you do then? Again, you don't go to social media. You don't want to blog about it. You take it to church leaders. Why do you take it to church leaders? Um, well, just practically, um, people who are pastors and, and leading churches have some experience and some training in how to deal with relational complexities. I think that's what Jesus is saying. He, he doesn't. I don't think he's saying take it to the church and on Sunday morning and air the laundry in front of everybody. Yeah. He's saying, hey, take it to to those who are in spiritual authority and and kind of put it in their hands and let them sort through some things because I think you might be out of your depths on that. Mm -hmm. I can think of a handful of times this has happened. Um, I'm thinking of one time a long time ago where this happened and it um, it ended pretty badly and it was you know probably worth writing a book on and then uh, which I won't do. Yeah, but uh, maybe a few years ago. There was um, this situation happened, and I was brought into um, kind of this like multi-year problem that, that some women were having, and they were not. It was they just weren't going about it, and so I had to initiate, and I had to to email all of them and say, um, "I need you to meet in my office at this time, this place with all these people, and we're going to talk about this." I have never had anybody show up for a meeting so promptly <laughs> and they all came to my office sat down on the couch and I sat there and I opened up in prayer and then they all fixed it themselves sure. at the end of the day I handed out Kleenex and I closed it in prayer and I told them how proud I was and I let them leave yep. and I didn't do anything all I did was just say come to the pastor's office and they they they're like okay we gotta figure this yeah. out it was amazing yeah I mean it, and that's a, I'm glad you told that story because it's a great example of, you know, a spiritual leader taking the initiative to cut the bind, to cut the bond, to cut the tie that Satan had set up oh, yeah. to keep those women away from each other so that conflict wouldn't be resolved. Yeah, they were all great friends. They're awesome. They're wonderful, wonderful ladies. They just kind of got in this relational weirdness and weren't talking about it, and they were talking to each other about it. But that it just, you know, yeah. got into gossip and things were being imagined and assumed. And so all I did was my presence in that room just let them know this is serious. We're not gonna, no, no one's putting up with it. And um, man, there it was just an amazing to see the repentance and the tears and in one that they actually loved each other. Yeah. And at the end of the day, nobody wanted to keep doing this. And it was awesome. Well, what, what, great story. For people that are lawyers, they know about this. Um, but especially in family law and divorce court law, mm. um, mediation is highly sought after by lawyers that are worth their weight. And the reason for that 
is because the lawyer would much rather have the conflict be resolved outside of court so that less damage is done to the families than have them dragged through court, have all the financials occur, blah, 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 and all that money to spend. Um, And so mediation is kind of a a secular um, representation of what we're talking about here, you know, being able to kind of get to the bull before he gets you type of thing. Yeah, so uh, I'd say step zero is pray. Step one is go privately. Step two, go with two or three. Step three, take it to church leaders. If that doesn't help, then step four is, uh, just in my words, say, draw a line in the sand. And Jesus says, let them be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Now, many people have jacked this up, and they have blackballed people and done all, and thrown people out and done all kinds of stuff. How did Jesus teach the Gentiles and tax collectors? He wooed them into the kingdom of heaven. I think step four is just you draw a line to show them how serious they are and how separated they are from God's family, and you invite them to come back into salvation, not salvation, but you know, come back into what it means to be a saved people of God. Come back into a relationship. Absolutely. Not kicking them out. Um, and so, you know... Now, obviously, I think you gave an example on Sunday where a guy was was um, choosing to have an affair and had two separate families and was like, no, I'm not going to repent. Yeah, you kick that guy out because you're you're protecting the, the wife and the kids. And right. You want their support you know, network to be intact. So absolutely. Um, but you know, most situations aren't going to be that serious. Um, but what you're trying to do is just communicate to them how serious the sin is and, and where they need to repent. And ultimately, Jesus chases after the, the sinners and tax collectors. I mean, he, he goes after Zacchaeus, who's the chief tax collector, and um, has dinner with, with Zacchaeus. So when people get to step four and they blackball them, blackball people, no, 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 that's not what Jesus would do. Yeah. So those are the, kind of the, the practical steps. Now, here's what will happen. If you do this, you're going to um, find one of three responses. And the responses will be a result of um, I a probably a combination of how well the, this situation was stewarded by you, um, and also whether um, this person functionally believes the gospel. And what I mean by that is, a lot of people say they believe the gospel, but in their actions they don't. Mm-hmm. And so um, the the three responses are the response of flight, the response of fight, or the response of the gospel. So the first response is flight. You meet with somebody, you're talking, and they don't want nothing to do with it, and so they, they run away. They change their number, they defriend you from Facebook, they leave the church, they leave the small group, they move out of the neighborhood, whatever. And um, those are really hard. Um, I've seen this happen many times, even when, when we have done everything we know to do in the right spirit, in the right attitude, out of love, with tears, and people just won't have it, mm-hmm. and they they run. They and it's it's that flight mechanism is so strong in their in their wiring, um, and and they they're scared, they're afraid, and well, I mean, it what, and stinks. So how do you? So how do you? What is the response if they run? I mean, as as a as believers in Christ and in His character and how He views conflict resolution like how do you what do you do you know i think you give them space and time and you let them run 
and you don't chase it, I mean, you pray for them, you don't, I don't think you need to chase, I mean, here's the deal, if they're running from you, um, well, they don't want to be around you, and don't waste your time, you know, I mean, it's hard to be in a relationship with someone who's not there, so it, it, it is, it, it stinks, but if at the end of the day, someone doesn't want to return phone calls, someone doesn't want to text you back, someone has chosen to leave fellowship or whatever, you know, God lets them do that. And, um, you know, the father in Luke 15 lets the prodigal son leave, mm-hmm. knowing full well what he's going to do. Heartbroken, but he's expecting a return. And when he does see his the younger brother come back, celebrates with joy. It's isn't mer- vindictive. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a merciful release. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so there's that. Uh, the second one is the response of fight. This is where you just white-knuckle it. And usually these people sometimes struggle with legalism and, uh, you know, all these things. Um, sometimes anger and rage and violence is, and it probably like verbal violence is really strong here. Man, these ones are tough because you can start fighting about things that you're not, that aren't even the main issue. Uh, and, um, and really, I think at the end of the day, there's still fear and insecurity and anxiety and worry that is beneath all that. Anger isn't the primary thing, but yeah. Um, so you got flight, you got fight. Um, you know, this is when people get upset and they stay in the church, <laughs> they don't leave the church. This is <laughs> sometimes it can be. Sometimes you think, I think it'd be better if you just left. Yeah, uh, I've never thought that about anybody. But <laughs> um, and then the third response is the response of the gospel. Here's the deal: the only way we can do any of this stuff, really, the only way we can live into Galatians 6 or Matthew 5 or Matthew 7 or Matthew 18 is if we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, if we are experiencing the delight of the Father, and if we actually believe in the good news that Jesus has has conquered sin and death. Um, When we look at Jesus, we see that he took on the antagonism. He took on the fight so that we wouldn't have to. He was the greatest peacemaker um, and when we experience functionally the good news of Jesus and how he has made peace in our lives and, if, and how he has taken the sin and the offense and the antagonism away, um, we find that we are um, healed and forgiven. And the one thing I've seen over and over again is when we, when we choose to stay hurt, hurt people hurt people. But when we will walk in the forgiveness that only comes through Christ, we find that healed people heal people and forgiven people forgive people. And people who have been shown mercy show mercy to others. Um, reconciled people help to reconcile other people. Uh, and that, that's forgiveness. Um, and so I think if you have a, a history of either fighting or flighting or fleeing, my question would be, um, have you fully experienced the forgiveness of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Because when I experience the forgiveness of Jesus deeply, it helps me to not run and helps me to not fight because forgiven people forgive people oh. and healed people heal people and people who are reconciled want to reconcile with other people. And so, um, as always, this always comes back with our relationship with God and, and sometimes... Um, the conflict or the thing that's happening between people is just a way of provoking a Kairos moment for us to to 
oh, we've forgotten the gospel. We've forgotten that we are forgiven. Um, and so sometimes it's not even about the conflict. God's doing something way bigger than the conflict in our lives. Yeah. And, you know, I, with the history in, you know, you know, my past is in secular sales in the, out in the world. Um, and so it's, it's interesting because the perspective of conflict resolution with someone who doesn't know Jesus versus conflict resolution with someone who does is, you know, from the, from the believer's perspective is going to be the same. But the expectation of response is where the major difference is oh, going to yeah. be. And, you know, I just want to say that as believers, if we really want to keep quoting the iron sharpening iron verse, <laughs> then you have to be okay with conflict. You have to be okay with conflict resolution, reconciliation, and forgiveness. Mm. Because if you're not, then that sharpening cannot occur. And, you know, I don't know about you, but some of the greatest stories I know that I've been told from brothers and sisters in Christ are the stories where there was a major wounding, where conflict was had, they battled for each other in that conflict, they resolved it, there was, they reconciled, there was forgiveness. And, you know, yeah, you walk around with some scars and maybe a limp, but it shows other believers and the people around you that, hey, I don't run from the people I love. I don't run from the things that, things that the Lord calls me to do in conflict. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, I, I love Matt Chandler, and a long time ago I heard him preach on this issue, and he said one of the most mature things you can do is not surround yourself with cowards. Surround yourself with people who will speak the truth in love. There's some people who just love to speak the truth. Loving to speak the truth is not the same thing as speaking the truth in love. Yeah. And so surround yourself with people who know how to speak the truth in love and to spend years and years and years and decades with those people. And you will find it impossible to become spiritually and emotionally mature. If the friends that you're around today are different from the friends that you were around a year ago and are different from the friends you were around two years ago and so on and so forth, and the friends that you'll be around next year are different, there's a chance that there might be some deeper problems. Mm -hmm. um, it is very difficult to do this stuff with transient community and transient people, groups, and friends. And so um, really, the, the longer that we spend time with people in community, the longer we build trust, the longer we know personality types, and we, we know um, kind of how people are. And we, and we know we've seen people when they're healthy, we've seen people when they're not healthy, and we kind of we just know how to discern things better. And so, yeah, just you know, stay in community. Fill yourself with a community who aren't cowards. Mm -hmm. um, try to be around healthy people. And, and, and if you have to do this with somebody who's not a believer, what an opportunity to share the gospel. Right. What an opportunity to functionally show people love and acceptance and forgiveness, even if they're not a believer. It's yeah. an incredible opportunity. For the church, our main message is love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And if there should be a place that's filled with broken people who are constantly giving love, acceptance, and forgiveness, it should be the church. And yeah. so we, I think we have an opportunity to really learn how to master the art of resolving conflict biblically or just having these difficult conversations. Um, two books that I recommended on Sunday that I always recommend to people are the book Crucial Conversations. It's an excellent book. And another one called Caring Enough to Confront. Those two, the best two books I've come across on this issue. So that's it. Um, 
little little bonus content for you this week and hope that this has been helpful. Um, it's certainly our prayer and we've just been loving hearing Jesus teach us some really difficult yeah. lessons yeah. this season of Epiphany. All right, peace out. Peace out.